Hello everyone, I'm Kevin Miller and this is The Ziggler Show, where our goal is to inspire your true performance. In this episode, does your faith make any real difference? All right, that headline itself is rife with controversy, of course, but I think to any sane person, it's a fully legitimate question we've all pondered or experienced. I mean, it's one thing to have faith and a belief. It's another to expect or have experience that that faith and that belief changes some of the hard circumstances of our life. Well, this show is going to actually dig up this subject in real life circumstances. As I do every week, I posted a question on uh, my Facebook page and you can join these weekly discussions and help me by sharing your personal experience and opinion. Just find and friend me at Agent K, as in Kevin, Agent K Miller. Well, this week I posted this question. Everyone has experienced some level of trauma in their life. Amidst it, how much did your personal faith tangibly help if it did at all? Oh my gosh, so many intimate responses. And I asked Dr. Lee Warren to join me to talk through your comments. Dr. Warren was my guest in show 743. He's a renowned neurosurgeon who deals directly with faith amongst trauma and tragedy literally every day. Uh, Grappling with faith and real world outcomes was the focus of his new book. And that's why I posted this uh, question. And his book's called, though, I've Seen the End of You, which was actually as of this Hitting the Airwaves, released just the day before, uh, January 7th, 2020. So I'm going to bring Lee to you, and we're going to talk through your comments right after I share some great products and services. Well, Lee, this was a, you know, it was an interesting question to post. I... I thought it would be interesting to people. I didn't realize how interesting it would be. And of course, the responses that we got, we won't get through half of them here. But I I think some of them, I mean, it's people were so vulnerable and intimate with some of what they shared. And I know you'll relate to a lot of it. So uh, I'm just going to throw some at you if you're ready. Great. Let's do it. All right. Wendy here, she says, there are different levels of trauma from different parts of life. I have been through the trauma of divorce, and it was when I really pressed into the Lord and developed a true personal relationship with him by getting into his word daily that I began to heal. I'm currently going through the trauma of buying a home and impressing into the Lord and feeling like I'm being attacked in every direction with so many things trying to keep us from moving. I do not believe it's the Lord. I believe it's Satan trying to keep us from our blessings. So my faith is strong strengthened while it's being tested at the same time. And I guess you can say I also have the trauma of youth and making bad decisions. And this is where learning about the sanctification of Christ that covers me and learning the true relationship with Christ and what the blood does for us comes in. I wish I would have learned it sooner instead of in my late thirties and forties, but I believe it's trauma on every level that can be used to strengthen our faith in, uh, in the Lord, which it seemed, it just felt like it, that, that last line of hers testifies so much to what you shared in your book. Yeah, you know, the the idea that in Isaiah, when he says, I have refined you, but not in the way silver is refined, I've refined you in the furnace of suffering. Mm. And and so I think, I don't believe that God actually puts us into hard things, especially tragedies, but I believe that he's always faithful to help us um, navigate them in a way that refines us and betters us. So yeah, trauma is a, a great opportunity to see the difference between how God handles this and the enemy does. You know, Jesus said the enemy came to steal and kill and destroy. And so when you're going through trauma, the enemy wants it to put you in the ground or ruin your life or ruin your witness or steal your joy or keep you limited. 
and the Lord wants to use it to turn you around and open up opportunities for you and grow you closer to what he wants you to be. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. And you've of course seen that so acutely. Um, Michael McGreevy. Now Mike, I know, uh, Michael, he is a really, uh, influential coach, uh, does a lot of life and business coaching. And he says it was, ev- his faith was everything for me. He said, I was at the end after I was in- at the end after a friend was killed in front of me in desperation. I asked for God's help. He saved my life. I came back on and asked Michael, I said, what aspect of your faith or belief helped you heal? He said, at the time I struggled with severe anxiety. It was my management of this fear that perpetuated it. The more I would fight it, the worse it became. Because I knew God was real and would catch me, I was more willing to let go and stop fighting. Giving up the fight was the beginning of my healing. That just resonated with me, that part there of, uh, I think of it in terms of holding on. That's often been a problem of my own, of holding on to, you know, maybe a vision that I felt God had that, that I look back and say, yeah, he, I, I did get, I was, I was right in discerning the vision. I was wrong in how I held on to how I thought it would play out. But in that aspect of giving up the fight and holding on, I was curious with you of how often you have seen that as you've walked with people through these dire circumstances where they, and as Michael put it, they need to let go in a sense uh, in order for their faith to work. You know, I, unfortunately I spend a, a lot of my time around people who are dying, you know, people are going through um, terminal illnesses. And I see that a lot where, um, there's this sort of dual path that we're walking where we're dealing with our physical body and what's happening to it and our, and our quality of life, our spirit, our faith, our, our, our relationships, the internal stuff about us. And what I see a lot is the, the more, the more we focus on one, sometimes the other is hampered. Okay. If that makes sense. So I see people, you know, struggling and fighting and being so angry and frustrated at this disease and throwing everything they have at it and, 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 and becoming sort of consumed by the, the physical part of it that they start to lose joy and relationships and, and peace of mind and all the other things that, that make us human and define our quality of life. Right. So yeah. you see this, this disconnection, this, this, um, separation of of physical life from i guess spiritual life would be the way to say it where the harder you fight in one you lose ground in the other and and on the physical side so i think learning to let god restore and heal even if our body is failing or even if that person has lost has been lost um letting god take us through that and show us what it's supposed to mean to us is where you learn how to rest. Right. And step into something outside of your own control. I I learned that the most in the Iraq war. And when I realized that I couldn't control the things around me, I couldn't yell enough to make them stop mortaring us or for the casualties to stop coming in. And it was only when I sort of recognized that I was never going to get through it unless God got me through it, that I began to, be able to slow down and understand that I still had a job to do and I still had a life to live even while I was there in the war. Yeah. And that's sort of what got me through that time. Yeah. It harkens to the just waiting on the Lord, which has always admittedly been one I've struggled on. I'm not a good passive waiter. I've learned to be a more active waiter. Um, yeah. 
well, here's one, uh, Melissa Colstead. She says, 100%, I would not have made it through without my faith. And of course, I asked, made it through what? She said, my husband's affair, our subsequent divorce, relinquishing custody of a child, a horrible and unfair court case that caused us to have to file bankruptcy, finding out my three boys have muscular dystrophy. Uh-huh. I've, uh, yeah, I've always believed that others have been uh, have been through an experience far worse. So I've always had a level of hope and a positive outlook, and I contribute that fully to my faith in God. I try to express gratitude every day for what I do have and for making it through difficult times. I do not believe I would have I would have that without my faith. So much there, my gosh, talk about some, some big things to deal with. It was her statement of gratitude that did jump out at me. And, and again, I wanted just to go back to your experiences of, I know we talked about in the main show. And of course, a big premise of the book is hope and the power of hope and the hopelessness, as you say, is the most deadly killer. But in this aspect where you see the ingredient of gratitude in those who cope well and not kind of back to your four categories of people. That's right. I think it's invaluable, but I think sometimes it takes a little a little distance from the event before you can start to feel it. Um, one of the things that I came to after we lost our son, and I'm I'm so sorry for the things this this lady, this sister has gone through. Goodness, yeah. Um, but our our when our son passed away, I was so angry. You know, at first you're you're angry and you're anxious and you're stressed and all of that, and and you start to think that's going to define the rest of your life, and this that the loss is going to define the rest of your life. And with time, you start to remember the things about the, your loved one or about that relationship or about that situation that you, that made you better, that, that made you happy, that made you feel joy. And we started to celebrate losing our son, not losing our son, but the life that he lived okay. um, and, and start to recognize the 19 years that we did have him and all the joy and all the laughter and all the, the ways that he made us see the world differently. And it began to help us heal from the hurt side of the equation and to start looking back on his life with, um, with a sense of gratitude for the time that we did have. And so I think that's learning to find a place where you can say, thank you, God. Um, Not just why did, why did I lose this, but thank you for letting me have it in the first place. And uh, I, I can't, Romans eight twenty eight is a frustrating verse because it's never good for you to lose your child or, or go through a divorce or any of those things, but good can come of it. Given enough time and perspective, you can start to see things that you're grateful for in spite of having lost. That is something I have tried without experiencing it. Um, thank goodness to conceptualize if I were to lose a child and with having nine, I not to be pessimistic, but I, you know, my chances of something happening are, are fair. And I've thought about that. Could I be grateful for the time I had with them? And, you know, uh, logically, um, I can, I can grasp onto that in the moment. I'd really rather not be tested. Of course. Um, I can't, can't imagine. Well, Wayne, here's a short one. Wayne Myers, I rely on my faith, and when things get tough, the fellowship of others is what keeps me moving. I hurt for anyone that tries or feels like they have to choose to do life alone. I pulled that one out because you, we talked, and some of it was on the show, Lee, and it might, some of it might have been after we stopped and, and we're just talking to each other, and you 
talked about the immense value and uniqueness that you have in doing what you do, dealing with your own faith amongst all of these tragedies that you deal with on a daily basis, death and, and whatnot, because you have your wife with you who you share this. She actually works in the practice with you that you share it with. Uh, that was one big thing. And then the other, as you refer to so often in the book, is the uh, chaplain or, or people in that role that you seem I, to have consistently connected with. And again, going back to what Wayne said, you walked out your faith with others. You didn't do it alone. That is one that is, is difficult for me when things get hard. I tend to isolate. That's just my right. nature. I want to go and think and figure it out. And that has its value, but I do, I have friends now that know Kevin's you're, you seem like you're isolating what's going on. And I'm having to work that out, uh, to, to get God's counsel through others. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, again, uh, an aspect of faith. I don't know if we covered that specifically as a focal point in the show. I don't think we did of doing it with others, being bolstered by others. Right. I, you know, I think it's, it's incredibly hard and dangerous to be alone when you're going through something really hard, because that's the time when it's quiet, when the enemy can talk to you. Um, you know, your fears can talk to you, your anxiety can talk to you, the, your actual spiritual enemy can tell you it's never going to be better than this. Uh, you made, you know, you've done it now you've messed up. It's never going to be okay. She's never going to come back. You know, you're, you're yeah. a terrible father. You, you should have done something different and your child wouldn't have died. You, those are the things you hear when it's really quiet, um, when you're isolated after trauma. And it's the, it, it's the presence of another person. Often for me, it was my wife and the, and the hospital chaplains and, and, and pastors and, and mentors that I've accumulated over the years that will say no to those lies that you're hearing. Mm. They'll say, Hey, no, no, God is faithful. God is with you. This will get better. There is light out there somewhere again. It, there will be tomorrow. Um, and without that voice, sometimes you can let the enemy's voice overwhelm you. Mm. Um, so for me, I, I do tend, as you do, I tend to want to isolate, but I've learned my lesson over the years that when I do that, it's always worse for me yeah. than when I just go and sit and be with, especially Lisa, somebody who's going to kind of know without me saying it, what I'm hearing in my head yeah. and call those things out. Yeah. Well, it was again, well, I appreciated Wayne sharing that. And I felt like that was just a key point as we're talking yeah. about faith. These are two here. I'm going to combine two of them. Michael, uh, he says, most of mine has been physical trauma, uh, but there's been a lot of it. Constant and relentless pain in your body that can, can wreak havoc on your mind. Without my strong faith, I never would have made it these last several decades. Of course, it's normal to get frustrated with our situation, but with faith comes gratitude, and that's what helps me immensely. Just following that, Susie says, uh, tangible representations of how faith has brought me through challenges are deep sighs of relief and moments of pain relief with my low back injury. As I healed, there were hours through the day without thinking of my pain. I knew that was a gift from God. She said, learning to heal through my back pain and choosing not to treat it with pharmaceuticals, having faith that healing is on God's time and that he writes my story that helped me to relax and not fight it. I feel like it gave me a huge amount of compassion and empathy for people with chronic pain. So I obviously put those together because chronic pain, you know, in the, the book, most of your examples were people, if something was wrong, they came in, they got a diagnosis. Now it's this time period that Say, uh, whatever the average was a year or, or whatnot for a lot of them, at least the terminal ones 
where then it ended and then people had to deal with that. Um, so it was an acute, if I can call it an acute pain and then dealing with it during that. And then after it's over, and these are folks who are testifying to just an on Michael said decades of just ongoing and having that faith during something that, well, let's just, let's just, uh, you know, make the story here of something that's not getting better. Um, right. So, you know, to 70, 75% of the work that most neurosurgeons do relates to back surgery, uh, neck and back pain. Uh, um, and so I spend a lot of time, unfortunately, with people in chronic pain, like, like these two um, individuals have talked about. And, and I see that as a, a serious threat to your faith and your ability to <clears throat> walk through your life in a healthy way, because it just, it's, it's, uh, it's like the Terminator, you know, it never stops. And so the people that I've seen that, that deal with that the most successfully are those that can receive it in a way that it's, it's part of their life, but it's not their whole life. Hmm. And I think that if they can somehow, obviously having faith attaches a lot of um, modifiers to that. But if you, if you can see that this is part of something you've been given that you've got to deal with, but it doesn't define you and that God can be faithful to you, even if he doesn't take that away, that my grace is sufficient for you kind of idea that Paul talked about when he was talking about his thorn in the flesh. Um, I, I see people who deal with pain in a healthy way. Don't become addicted. Don't give up. Don't become suicidal. Don't um, spend their whole fortunes on crazy treatments that aren't, aren't valid. And they find other ways to manage their pain that are uh, more successful. And those people become a gift to a lot of other patients and a lot of other people because they show us that you can deal with something hard and still have a really valuable life. Yeah. You have mentioned multiple times, just as we've gone through this in what, 15 minutes now, uh, that aspect of not letting it define you. And my gosh, that's a you know, we can take that beyond trauma and tragedy of, of how yeah. often do we have events in life, circumstances, uh, realities that we let define us. I mean, to a degree, we all do that. I mean, that's part of self image and, and, uh, that we all have, uh, that we all deal with, but yeah, to not let one thing good or bad. I mean, cause we see it on the, on the other side too, celebrity that's right. and it defines you where you've got somebody. I mean, I was a pro athlete and I saw that happen a lot with guys who retired that they were never at peace again. That was who they were. They were a pro cyclist outside of that. They didn't, they didn't know. I'm grateful that that was not the case for me, but I have my own issues of things that I attach right. to there. Um, gosh, that's a, there's probably a book in itself right there of, of not letting whatever define you. That's right. Uh, you know, on this, as we're talking about faith and, you were not, I want to point out to people if uh, go read the book, but this is not, you know, it's easy for us to talk about the patient, right? Your direct patient. Here's the person with the problem, with the diagnosis, who's dealing with it. But to what degree do you experience and cope with faith? The reality of that, not only with them, but sometimes Sometimes, well, I think in the book, you've been attested sometimes even more acutely in their family members that are also a part of your, they're, they're part of your patient load. That's right. Um, yeah, there are people who, you know, this is, it's hard to talk about sometimes. There are people whose lives are defined by their relationship with another person. Yeah. Um, there's people whose lives are defined by, like you said, their career, 
their athletic ability, their finances or whatever. And when those things are taken away or threatened, if the, if the foundation of your life is something that can be taken away, you can really plummet and you can, you can, your faith and your spirit and your hope can disappear. Um, and I've seen that numerous times in people whose husband or wife developed brain cancer and it was terminal and they just can't see how 13 months from now, 15, 18 months from now, they're going to be able to live when this person is gone. And some of those people go to extraordinary lengths and drag these poor dying people all over the world to get experimental treatments and they just won't let them go. And they put them through, you know, horrible (laughs) inhumane things because they can't imagine life without this individual. And it's tragic when you see that because there's a lot of grace that happens when you die well, or you allow someone to die with dignity. Um, And I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he talked about building your life on something solid and not on shifting sand. Right. Um, So for me, I've, I've seen it evolve over the course of my career where the people that really do the best are people whose relationships don't define them, but they improve them. They better them. And so that they recognize that that person is not the, source of power or source of joy or source of goodness of your life. And so I think um, learning to, to zoom out of that um, relationship and see it as one thing to be grateful for and, and to fight for, but, but not, it's not the end of you if you lose that other person. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and a deep issue regarding the tangibility of your faith in your life. Next, a listener questions what personal faith actually means to you. And you're going to hear Dr. Warren speak to the value of faith in general, even if it's not a Christian or religious faith, even amongst atheists. Really intriguing. So we'll start right back after I share some great products and services with you. Gosh, that's that's an interesting statement. You, and you shared. I'll I won't forget the story of the lady in the book that you referenced, whose husband was just in essence an empty shell, and she yeah. could not let go. And I can't remember if you later in the story said that he ultimately did pass away. He, he did. did. Okay. Well, uh, here's another uh, Joe Pellerito. He says this is a big topic. It would depend upon what personal faith in quotes means. I suppose I've overcome some trauma. I was sexually assaulted when I was a kid, but I can't say personal faith is what tangibly got me through it. It took counseling, journaling, reframing, finding strengths, working on constraints, etc. I'm happier than I've ever been. Well, I wanted to go up to that because in the intro, I'll actually reference this thanks to Joe because. He said it would depend on what personal faith means. Now, we have here at the Ziegler Show a, I don't know if I could say a majority, but a, a great base of you know evangelical Christian uh, Christians in the audience. That's what most people uh, seem to be referencing in regards to God, if not saying Jesus specifically. But I wanted to hit on that because I'm sure you have seen all, uh, many types of faith. And people engage in faith, whether it's a different type of God or whether it's just an ideal. And wanted to ask you, yeah, to speak to the value of, um, not to devalue any faith, but the value of just faith in general, even if it's not in a specific, as we would say, in, in an evangelical God. Right. I think you can you can separate out religious faith mm-hmm. um, and faith and hope. Um and I've seen a lot of people who would call themselves agnostics or atheists that that seem to be very well put together and can encounter hard things and deal with them well. 
and what they seem to rely on is the the this the fighting spirit and the and keeping their hope alive that they can try and 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 get through another day or if they realize that the that the battle is lost in terms of their physical body that they still have relationships to maintain or legacies to pass on or the yeah. story that they want to live out to for their children or the, or their spouse to remember them by and so i think just the idea in general that it's better for you to be hopeful than it is to be hopeless yeah. um, is, is the secret sauce, if you will, to, to any type of successful encounter with hard things in life separated out from any type of religion. Um, I do believe that it's the having a belief in God and, and, and believing that it's true that there's something beyond this life is what gets you through when you lose your child. Like if, if I didn't believe that I got to see my son again someday, then I would really understand what Paul was talking about when he said, if there's no resurrection, then we among all men are most to be pitied. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, just, we're just kidding ourselves if this isn't real. And because if, if it is real, if all those promises are true, then there is really a, re- a reunion out there. And to me, that's worth fighting for. Yeah. And that's, that gives me, an arc of my life that still can go up instead of having to just go down. So I'm interested why you pulled that specific thing out of, out of all the um, yeah, you know, traumas and, and tragedies amongst different people that you pull out specifically. Do you see a more difficult task for parents who lose a child than most other cases? Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm acutely uh, invested in that one because I've experienced sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, and so I tend to, I tend to see those people maybe differently than I do other people. But, but I think I even said this in the book. I did say it. Um, my tragedy is not worse to me than yours is to you. Right. You know, I used to think um, that it would have been better for us. Um, if our son had had an illness that was going to kill him in a couple of years and we had that time to deal with it. Um, But then I've dealt with patients and and known families who did have that and they were just as devastated as we were because they knew it was coming and it was awful to see it coming. So we, you know, for us, like the other woman you mentioned, um, it it was a tragedy that we didn't see coming. It was a sudden event and, and boom, it just happened. And, um, Actually, you didn't say that. We had lunch with somebody today earlier that told us about losing your sister uh, in a car wreck, and it was just like that. So I merged that story with yours. Yeah. Um, but but this idea that I had that turned out to be incorrect, that when tragedy strikes suddenly, it, it's worse than if it strikes more slowly. Um, we see it with cancer patients. We see it with trauma victims. We see it with people dying of all kinds of, of different things. And then people who aren't dealing with physical crises, but other types of crises, um, we see that what happens to them is seems to be worse to them than whatever happened to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Uh, Kent here. I've thought about this a lot. I've never had any real faith shattering trauma. Excuse me. You'd think I'd be happy about that, but the Lord says he won't give you more than you can handle. What does that say about my faith level? Uh, Well, neat response here uh, on, on Facebook that was given Jennifer responds and she says, Kent, it's all relative. What you may think is no big deal rocks. Some people to the core. I was in a Bible study group and one of the guys said something similar to you. His wife piped up and said, well, 
the guy's dad when uh, died when he was 16, he's been fired a few times, et cetera, et cetera. He just didn't think those things were that traumatic. And I thought that was an interesting perspective on this question yeah. too, to look at it that are obviously some people take a certain event more traumatically than others as well. And there we're back. Well, I guess we're back to what you said. We're back to that foundation of hope and faith and fear and just our, our essence. And yeah, what I'm sure you saw that so many times where, I mean, you, you, you shared the one, gosh, what was the one family at the end that took it so well? Um, of course you gave them pseudonyms anyways, I'm sure. But yeah. you know, that one family that Rupert did seem, yeah. yeah. Okay. That did yeah. seem to just take it so well. So do they look at this as a trauma? I mean, they're the ones that came back to bless you, uh, amongst mm-hmm. that, did they? And, 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 and gosh, how can we say that? I don't, I sure don't want to, um, minimize anyone's true trauma in that, but a relevant per- perspective. Yeah. You know, it's, it's this idea of how you, um, I think I think religious people, Christians especially, have a have a sense that that there's this eternal perspective. So we, if you if you really can believe that that's true, then that means any individual event in your life is is just part of a big thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that the danger in that is to flip to the Christian platitude side and say, oh, it's okay, you know, God's got a plan, or you know, it'll all work out in the end, or you know, that can be harmful to people when you preach that at the wrong moment. Yeah. But the the perspective that you have that that your entire life is a series of things that are, some are going to be bad and some are going to be good, and the end something better is coming. When you have that perspective, I think it allows you to um, manage whatever comes along in a little bit healthier way. But this gentleman's comment I think is, is beautiful. He hasn't had anything significant happen or anything really bad happen to him. Um, I would just say that the problem is something is going to at some point in your life. I mean, if you're married, one of you is going to pass away before the other one does most likely. If you have children, you know, one one or more of them are going to lose their parent. All of them are going to lose you or your wife someday or your husband someday, or God forbid, you're going to lose one of them someday. Like everybody, you know, is going to pass away someday. There, there are things like that that are going to happen. So the, the secret is if you haven't been in it yet to prepare yourself for it by really digging into your faith and understanding how you're put together so that when those things do occur, you're ready for them. Yeah. Yeah, that is one, as I told you, and I've, I've talked about, I, th- I think on our other show that we've brought to the dinner table, thanks to you of, we're not amongst my family, amongst the daily tra- trauma and tragedy and depth of humanity that you're dealing with on a daily basis. And yet, and we haven't experienced something like that, but chances are, well, I mean, it is something's going to happen. Are we prepared for it? How do we do that? How do we bring the gravity of life? Uh, and, and, you know, this is why a lot of people go visit third world countries and such to right. really bring that to the forefront. Yeah. yeah. Well, this one is, as we've talked about, not letting an event, a trauma, a tragedy define you. This was a neat testimony. I think they all are uh, attributing this, but of redemption. So Amy, she says, uh, wow, Kevin, you hit the most passionate calling on my heart. I'm a trauma specialist working as a coach and therapist. For me, wow. the most true, deepest, and most soul-shifting trauma healing element of my lifelong journey with complex trauma 
uh, having wave after wave during all of my life, abuse, rape, divorce, death, etc. It started out as something that felt more like a detriment uh, than defender, but that was more my perception than reality. Realizing that fact opened up the path to the deepest healing imaginable as my eyes and heart were finally open to the true nature of God and the fact that all of my other misconceptions were more about my anger than my God. I could go on for days about this because I'm on a mission to help the world give voice to their wounds and then turn that trauma into their greatest strength. Uh, Thanks for bringing this up. It's part of so many stories and I feel blessed to have come alongside countless individuals to guide them through their journey of healing. And, you know, I didn't pull her website out, but she is a, a provider, Amy Van Slambrook, her last name is Slambrook. Uh, Brooke. And, um, that aspect of, you know, I was, I was brought up by a very optimistic family and they, yeah. they, to this day, you know, my parents, something hard happens and they have disciplined themselves to look at it and say, okay, what does this make possible? And yeah. we know that, that people who have gone through great ordeals, if it doesn't overcome them, they're usually then equipped uh, with a strength that the other, that, that those of us don't back to what uh, Kent said, because I would say a similar thing. I don't have, I haven't had faith shattering traumas. And therefore I know that there are some things I am not equipped to deal with that you are, that Amy is, that others who have yeah. gone through such things are. So I love her testimony of what does that make possible? And of course, that's a big part of your book. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, for me, the idea, <clears throat> I'll talk about Romans eight twenty eight again. Like when you when you have a major loss, like when I, when I lost my son, it was obviously devastating and all of that. But over time, I started like trying to figure out how I could, see it in some way that would make his life not just a tragedy Mm. because it was unacceptable to me that my son's entire sum of his existence was that he died in a really tragic way. Like it, it, he needed to, to mean something beyond that. And so when I started writing and blogging and podcasting all that a year or so after he died and over the course of those years, two different people have reached out to me and said, Hey, something you wrote or said this week kept me from committing suicide. Wow. So there's two people who are alive because I wrote after my son died. Yeah. And so it's one of those things that it's, it's never going to be a good thing that I lost my son. But with enough perspective and time, I've now been graced by God to see at least two good things that have come out of that. So there's two people alive that if I hadn't been willing to talk about what happened to us, they might not be. Yeah. And so that that perspective that comes with time of being able to see that there are blessings and there are things that are redeemable and that do add value and, and add meaning and purpose to your life again, even though you've gone through these hard things is really invaluable, but you have to be willing to see it. Right. So I think that idea of what can I learn from this? What does this make possible? That's a great idea, but you're not, I would just encourage people to remember you're not going to think that way right right off the bat that yeah. comes with time yeah. and to get there you got to stay alive right you you got to put the gun down you you got to you got to go back to work at some point you got to you got to start moving again before you'll start to see those little blessings well based on what you just said there i almost feel like we'd be remiss then if we didn't address that issue of you know did did god cause this did god allow this 
and the struggle that I've had. I, I'll never forget a guy who had a tragedy happen with his uh, daughter, uh, a daughter kidnapped, raped, uh, just the worst of the worst. And he said, you know, and I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to look at that and think that that happened uh, for a, for a better cause. He says, I can't accept that at the time. Now, you know, good. What, what could it, how could it be redeemed? Um, I do believe that that is a part of my faith. And I think that it's, it's, it's supposed to be that, you know, God, God, can God redeem it? Can he bring good? Well, it goes back and we did talk about that in the show. Can he yeah. go back to the verse, you know, can he work all things for good? Can he help transform us into his nature? Sure. But boy, we're in dangerous territory when we start giving, yeah, as you said, platitudes to a trauma of that nature. Yeah, you can't. And you can't, I think you really have to thread that needle, Kevin, of saying it's, I am not saying, and you're not saying that it's a good thing or that God does things to produce, he does bad things to us to produce good things. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't believe that's what the Bible says. Uh What I think it is, is that God is, it, this is a silly example, but there's a, there's a notion from quantum physics that an electron can be in two places at the same time, that, that the given individual electron can spin clockwise and counterclockwise at the same time, because it operates on physics that aren't the same physics that we can see in the world. And, and the reason I'm mentioning that is the idea that your son can die. And that's a terrible thing that will never be good. And that somebody else's life can be saved because you talked about that. And that's a good thing. That's, there's nothing bad that could be made out of saving someone's life. But those two things are, they're opposites, but they're both true. That's good. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's great. So at some point, at some level, all I can say to you, if you're suffering is that God is faithful and he will give you some opportunity to redeem that thing that you're going through and use it to help someone else or see it in a new way that will enable you to keep taking steps and moving forward. That, that that's how he's faithful. It's not a good thing that you're divorced or you were raped or that you have cancer or that your son dies or it, it's not, it's not good, but God is so quantum that two things can be true that are opposite, that he can still do something good out of that horrible thing. Okay. Well, let me, let me poke that uh, a little bit more because somebody has been on the end of some, lots of people on the end of trauma and had somebody give that platitude of, Hey, God has a plan and they have to accept that really that was part of God's plan. So he intended for that to happen. I've always struggled with that one, Lee. I have. And, And so to take your, your, you know, two things, can he be sovereign, but have something like that happen that was not his intent? And now we're, I know we're getting into doctrine, but this is the stuff that I know that people are going to be hearing this and, and, and <clears throat> translating into their own issue and going, that's, that's hard to handle. Yeah. It's it, the time I wanted to punch somebody in the face and I'm like the, the least violent person you've ever met. Like, but the time I was so mad that I wanted to literally punch a guy was when he said that basically to me at my son's funeral, you know, God's got a plan. You'll see it someday, how this is all orchestrated, you know? And I was like, I wanted to choke this guy. Yeah. That's not what you say to somebody because, and I don't think that's what it is. I think what it is, is that, and it, it's not a, it's not a cliche and it's not a cop out to say that God is eternal and has a perspective that we can't have. And it's true that he says in the Bible that all the days of our life are known by him before one of them comes to pass. And that the reason we're in this mess in the first place is because of sin 
mean, all of that's true. It doesn't make you feel better when you just lost your child, right? So that's not the time to say that kind of stuff. I don't believe that he does things bad to us so that he can do something good later. I don't believe that. I don't either. I just believe that he's so faithful and he loves us so much that he will use whatever comes along to give us opportunities for good things to happen later. Because if there's not something good at the end of that, Kevin, then none of us should feel like keeping, there's any reason to keep going. Right. So you just have to know, like my wife and I have talked about it a lot where the idea was that we were so, it was so dark and we were so broken and so sad that we couldn't even imagine that there was a time again when it was going to feel better when, when we could see light again. But we just knew like every night when you, when, when it's dark outside, you know, if you just sit there long enough, it's going to get light again. Yeah. And we just got to some place where we said, God is going to someday let us feel a little hope again. And that belief that it would feel better was enough some days to just get us out of bed yeah. again. So it's not a good thing yeah. when you go through something bad, but you need to believe that something good can happen again in your life or you won't be able to move. Well said. Thank you. Susan, I recently experienced a loss of four close family members in seven months. My my dad, my mom, two sisters-in-law after a tumultuous two year, two years due to other business and family issues. It was debilitating. I lost my self image, my confidence and my motivation. It's hard to run a family and a financial planning practice that way. And people don't know what to say or do. So many said and did nothing to support us as we walked or crawled this unwelcome path through that though, I rebuilt my worth and value based on God's promises in scripture and not my actions or success. I found his promise to always be with us. Very comforting, comforting. I would repeat over and over. I don't understand, but I trust you. I had no positive energy of my own. So I began each day with a scripture or a Bible study video, a positive podcast and a personal development book. That's when I listened to many oh, of your podcasts, uh, along with those of John O'Leary and others, you helped me tremendously. Then I would pray. I would take that positivity into my day for as long as it would last. Now I finally feel as though the real me is returning a different me for sure, but able to smile and mean it while serving my family and helping my clients find confidence and contentment surrounding their finances. I'm grateful for the love, strength, and encouragement of my Savior and those who express their faith through spoken or written word. It's why I stand stronger today. Mm. Just a beautiful testimony, and I just, I, I love her testimony of just daily walking it out. And I'm sure you experience that one foot in front of the other. Like she, like you talked about hard to see that it would ever feel better, but she put her feet forward. She put positive back to, you know, Zig Ziglar's famous quote of, you know, putting, you can change who you are, where you are and how you feel by what you put into her, into your mind and her doing that. And also that line of, I don't understand, but I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. That's faith. That is faith. And you know what? The, the flip side of that is, is when you don't know if you trust him. And I just want to encourage people because not all of us can be as put together as she was in the midst of that because there are times when you really have serious doubt. Yeah. And, and the, what the enemy will do when you're doubting is he'll tell you that your doubts are true. He'll say, when you say, I don't know if God's real, God must hate me. If he is real, he's a jerk. The enemy will say, yeah, that's right. God does hate you. You're, you are worthless. You, you'll never get back on your feet. That's what the enemy will say. So, so 
the enemy speaks truth into doubt and turns it into fear, right? What the Holy Spirit does and what the Lord does is he speaks truth into faith. And he says, hey, it's okay to doubt. I want you to tell me what you're doubting so I can tell you that it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right? And then that notion that she said that was perfect, just do something every day. Get up and read something. Think about something listen to a worship song, listen to something that's going to move that dopamine needle just a little bit in your brain to increase your mood enough to get out of bed or make a cup of coffee or go back to work or do whatever you have to do that day. And your life will start gaining momentum again. Yeah. It's that choosing to move. And, and when it's, when the, when the days are the heaviest, the hardest thing to do sometimes is to just try to get up. Right. And the way to do it is like, um, I think Tony Robbins is the one that said it. If you want to feel better, do better. Right. Yeah. If you want to, if you yeah. want to feel something, do something. Yeah. And so having another person around to tie that back to the other idea is another person in your life. Who's close enough to you to say, Kevin, you're getting out of bed today. You're, you're going to do this today. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. Goodness. Well, and I, you, you mentioned the word doubting there, and that's something we did talk about in the first show together. And you talk about it in the book as well about a, a, a God that allows us to do that. Maybe even welcomes it. Um, well, hey, I'm going to anchor us here with one, uh, cause I'm going to honor my son. Uh, this is my oldest, my oldest son who I talked to you about Caleb. Yeah. And he went through the first, uh, from, from five days old till around 12 or so, I, I, we lost track how much, how many days, months in the hospital. Um, he had, had a, had had brain hemorrhage as a baby and, uh, created hydrocephalus. He had a shunt, had a, had it go wrong, had shunt revisions. Mm. And then at the age of four, uh, we start, he, he, the, the, uh, seizures really came on strong. And so he would have, uh, if he had one, it would be status epilepticus. So for folks hearing that, that means it wouldn't stop. So we'd have to. Uh, rush him to the hospital to get them to stop it. Um, so it was significant. And around the age of 12, we were at Denver children's hospital started out in Vanderbilt, but, uh, we were at Denver children's hospital living out here in Colorado then and, uh, pursuing a a resectioning, uh, removing a part of his brain. And the story I'll sum it up is ultimately uh, after two weeks of them just wigging him out, trying to cause a seizure so they could track things and decide where we finally couldn't get him to have one. And ultimately just came around and said, well, maybe we should just figure that's good uh, that he's, he's not having one. Yeah. And from that point on, uh, he didn't and finally came off of medications at some point. And now here he is today. But Think about that as a 12 year old kid, he was used to things, life happened to him and it's been a journey of him. Uh, well, here's what he says. I'd say it goes both ways. My faith has helped me deal with the outcome and the outcome has strengthened my faith. Hopefully it doesn't sound conceited, but my faith in God has never been in question. I have been confused by his methods and even mad at him from time to time, but never doubting him or my faith in him. I instead find myself wishing I could understand it all and know exactly what he wants me to do and how he wants me to live my life. And I get upset at myself for not understanding, but I guess that defeats the purpose of faith. Um, Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, in going through such a long period, he's, uh, that's programming. That's the formative years of programming and have to all this stuff. And he handled as a kid so gracefully, uh, he was, he was incredible, but now he's having to realize that, you know, I kind of come to a more, um, intentional life. Okay. Now nothing's happened to me. I've got to happen to 
life. And it's that programming makes a big difference. So his faith has been, I'm grateful for that though. His heart and his faith, his devotion to the Lord is a testimony to me. It, it convicts me and inspires me. And and so he would, he would attest to the, what does it make possible that he wouldn't have otherwise? And he's, he is understanding of that. Wow. You know, that speaks to him being a really amazing person, but it also speaks to um, the value of mentors and parents um, because he inherited that, the notion of that kind of faith from you, from you and your wife. And so I, I would encourage people out there, if you didn't have that kind of upbringing or you didn't have that kind of support team, when you started going through your hard time, it would be harder for you to find and hold on to faith again. And if you didn't, especially then after you're going through something like that, be that kind of person for somebody else, like pass that on because having somebody else around you who says, Hey, we're going to get through this. Hold on to your faith. God is faithful. God's going to get us through this. Having that person, not the platitude person, but the person who's making it real in your life is, I think it's just the utmost importance of getting through hard things. Uh, as often is the case, these Q and A's, they bring out such, uh, intimate sharings from people. And I feel like it makes for the most valuable shows. So I feel like it was just a kind of a live coaching session with you. Thank you again for being with us here, for sharing your heart and you. your, your insight. You know what? I'll tell you what Caleb said. He says, man, if something ever goes wrong, he, cause he still has a shunt. Um, he, it's still, yeah. it's still, if anything goes wrong, he says, I'm going to go see Dr. Warren I'm, uh, I'm like right four hours. Away. I wish <laughs> so. I had written it down with it. Uh, as I was reading through your, your guests, um, your Facebook followers, Somebody said a line that I, I, I'm probably going to steal. I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to steal it. Okay, okay. <laughs> I commented on there. Um, he said, um, sometimes it's the faith that gets you through the event. And sometimes it's the event that sparks and improves your faith. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Because that's right. Sometimes it takes something happening in your life. Like my, my, my guy, Joey, in my book, that he wasn't, strong until something bad happened to him and faith was born out of that. Yeah. And sometimes you have a strong faith that has prepared you like your son for the hard thing that you're about to encounter. And they're both equally important. Well, and I would say that in my life, the people I've seen who have the strongest, most um, amazing faith are the people who have had it tested heavily. Um, yeah. Well, again, thank you. Thanks for blessing people. And and if folks want to connect with you, is the website just the best? Uh, yeah. Okay. WLeWarnMD.com. Okay. Um, my podcast, my newsletter, all of it can get to from there. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for blessing us. Thanks, Kevin. Good to see you. God bless. Well, friends, I won't be surprised by getting feedback on this show, good and bad, which is okay. I mean, the point is to help us all make our faith more tangible in our lives, to have it help us. Uh, again, you can get Dr. Warren's new book, which man, I just cannot recommend enough. It's called I've Seen the End of You. Uh, get it wherever you get your books. Uh, it was just released on Amazon on January 7th, 2020. Um, but you can connect also with Dr. Warren at W. Lee warrenmd.com and uh, check out his Dr. Lee Warren podcast as well. It's getting really good reviews. 
Coming up next in episode 749, I've got a great show on your personal style, all in the key areas of your life. It's just a great uh, message on being aware of yourself and leveraging uh, your style to help you progress. I was just enamored as soon as I uh, got a look at this message. So I've got a special guest that's going to be on with me. I think you're going to be incredibly equipped by that show. Till then, Thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 